Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. Okay, so y'all, we are so excited to launch this podcast the same week as World Tourism Day, celebrated annually on September 27th. World Tourism Day shines a light on the profound significance of tourism encompassing social, cultural, environmental, political, and economic dimensions on a global scale. We thought, what better way to kick off the Interactions and Attractions podcast than by launching on a day so significant to the field of tourism? In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds, from seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Hi, Kofi Boone. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Carol Klein. It's great to be here. We are here with Mr. Kofi Boone, who is a professor of landscape architecture at North Carolina State University. He is also the director of the Just Communities Lab. Um, Kofi, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about the Just Communities Lab? Yeah, happy to. So the Just Communities Lab began as a way to create a, a home in our college and in our department to deal with issues that are tied to environmental justice and uh, the disproportionate impacts different communities face, uh, exposure to environmental hazards, but lack of access to environmental benefits as well. And uh, there are a number of us who do that work in various pieces, but we didn't really have a home. So uh, the proposal was to do that, to provide technical assistance and design and planning support for communities facing environmental justice challenges. So we've been at it for, uh, couple of years and we're hoping to officially, officially launch this year. Nice. That is amazing. Well, and you and I have known each other for a while and, and I'm so happy to be working with you again, uh, through the uplift program. Um, but before we get started talking about like how we know each other and, and an introduction to your involvement in uplift, um, I have to ask a question right? Uplift is about tourism. It's about rural tourism. And so I have to ask, are there any key interactions that led you to tourism? I mean, you're a landscape architect professor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a great question. I mean, the connection between what we do and tourism or vice versa, uh, I feel like it was always there uh, with communities that want to really celebrate what makes them special and makes them unique. We spend a lot of time trying to figure that out with communities and in terms of landscape architecture, for people who don't know, it's a profession that's really about making decisions about the land. Uh, so almost everything but a building uh, in the outdoors is somehow touched by landscape architects, so parks and campuses and even new communities and neighborhoods and things of that nature. So 
you know, whenever we interact with people, you know, that's the beginning of the conversation is, you know, what do you really love about your place? And hopefully the good work amplifies it and makes it clear to others. And it was really, I would say, Carol, to tip a hat to you, who helped me understand the connection when we were working together uh, in West Africa and Ghana in terms of, you know, a lot of the things we were looking at had a physical component to it, but the goal of it was to make it uh, so that local people could benefit from visitors, you know, who who happened to find things interesting as well there. So, so I think it was always there, but I think I amplify it when we started working together. Whoa! So I'm I'm the key interaction. You are the the key. You're the key. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I remember being in your office, um, and I th I think you remember this too because we've talked about mm -hmm. this. I remember being in your office, and and I was there. We had never met. And mm -hmm. I, I was, I had asked to have an appointment with you and mm -hmm. we were talking about um, working with the Sandhills Family Heritage Association. Mm -hmm. And that was our per first domestic project we did together. That's right. That's right. And that was so cool and so much fun. And that's when you and I, you know, like I was saying, well, okay, so tourism development, you do this and you do this, you do this and you do this. You know, you, you, you ask people about this, their sacred places, you mm -hmm. ask people about their stories, right. you get to know the heritage and the culture, what they'd like to celebrate, um, you know, some of, some of the tragedies, um, you, you get to know the community and what's important to mm -hmm. them. And mm -hmm. then you work with the community to help uh, to support their efforts and turning that into a tourism experience that they want to share and and be an ambassador for and yeah. and then you were, were talking about what you do in landscape architecture and you were using the same words and the this this i mean it, it it was amazing it was an amazing epiphany for me to know that what you do as a landscape architect as a landscape architect and a landscape architect professor and community outreach specialist is the same as what I do, but, but we just mm -hmm. have different outcomes that very much complement each other. Yeah. You know, and that's a great story. I mean, Sandhills is a family heritage association and, you know, they wanted to develop a site to help interpret their story and, you know, uh, worked with them to develop that. I was, the good news is just got an email from them it's been years since I've heard from them that they're still moving forward with their work. So you know, that collaboration led to that. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think you really helped me understand that it's not a competition between visitors and local people that you can find benefits that both can can share and enjoy. So one can actually help the other. So that was a that was a major aha moment for me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always say that tourism development gets invited to the community to bring in the dollars for the tourists. But while we're there, we're doing we're doing work that is, you know, anything you do for the tourists, the the hopefully the community is going to be benefiting from it as well. That is the goal. That is right. the goal. Right. Right. No matter what the entry point is, that's the goal. Well, so as a landscape architect, um, could you just tell us about how you work with communities? What's the process? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, you know, it depends on what. Uh, people need and what they're asking for. I think that, you know, at a bare minimum, you know, we do a lot of listening. Um, so, you know, we, we don't come in with preconceived notions of how things should be. We, we, we listen and we try and distill those pieces out that impact the environment. So, 
you know, no matter what we do, we want to do things that leave the environment better and not worse. So um, some levels it's, you know, uh, you know, what's the impact going to be on the land for a decision you're going to make? You know, how can we anticipate that and deal with it? Uh, how do we set priorities, right? You can't do everything at once, you know, so in a lot of ways we try and work with people to come up with more of a comprehensive view, a vision of what they like, and then to break it up into manageable pieces that they can afford, that they can sustain, that they can support, that they can maintain. But, you know, the overall arc is after that initial conversation, uh, uh, we come back and uh, essentially share what we thought we heard. And then we start moving through a process of uh, beginning with inventory, keeping track of all of the things that are going to be affected by whatever we do. So information about people, communities, histories, uh, people sharing stories. We do environmental inventory and research, like what are the soils, the plants, the climate, the habitats that we're affecting. Uh, and uh, we then start to engage people in the kinds of discussions that help them articulate what they'd like to see in a particular place. So in some cases, like, hey, we need a new community center with a garden. In other cases, uh, we need walking trails and really good signage. And another case, uh, you know, we need, uh, I don't know, any kind of uh, amenity. And so, you know, whatever they pick, you know, there are lots of examples out there. Uh, so we like to talk with communities about the range of options that are out there. It's not one size fits all to get a sense of people's preferences, what they prefer, what they don't, you know, what they feel like resonates with their communities and, and things that may not, you know, and then we uh, take all that information and start to create alternatives because we uh, don't think there's just one way to, to address the issue. We want to show that there's a range that people can test their values, you know, so they can see like, if I like this idea, you know, what are the positives of that, you know, are there any negatives I need to be concerned of? What are these trade-offs that I'm making? And after that, we take all that information to make essentially a, a consensus plan, you know, a, a, a plan that, you know, there are some people who may not agree or, or who may have uh, uh, not supported everything, but they understand how that decision process came, what it results in. And then from there, as an instructor, that's usually where I stop uh, and uh, try and encourage a handoff to uh, licensed professionals and, and other folks to actually enact it. But every once in a while, you know, we go a little further to how to take it from the paper and off the boards into real life. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, and, you know, if we have time, we, we try and monitor it, right. We try and keep track of it to see if it's doing what we thought it was going to do. So mm. it's a very general kind of outline of, of what we try to do. Uh, it varies based on the project and what's called upon, but uh, and it's important to note that, you know, it's not just us. We try and bring in people who have expertise. Um, so, you know, tourism, of course, you know, the distinguished Dr. Klein, uh, uh, if environmental, economic, historic, you know, it's not just us. We try and work in collaboration with others. Right, right. Wow. You said so many cool things. I was, I was taking notes. Um, you know, you, you started talking about asset mapping. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and inventory. And yeah. um, and that's one of the things that you're doing uh, with your work with Uplift, which we'll we'll get to in just a minute. Um, uh, and 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 you mentioned, um, you know, one of the things that that you do that I'm so envious of that that I think is so cool <laughs> that, that that we don't do on the tourism side of things is that all of your work results in a a visual aesthetic that enhances mm. Um, the senses and and the experience of people who are in the community, whether it's residents or or visitors. I just, ah, I love that. I love that. 
Um, and, you know, I remember when I was uh, working with um, Handmade in America uh, in Western North Carolina, you know, one of the things that I learned was if you are in a small town um, or a rural community mm-hmm. and you see this visual manifestation that you and, and your peers create, uh, with, along with the community, it's, it sends a message. It sends a mm-hmm. message that, that we care, we care about our yes. home yes. and, um, and, and yeah, and we're proud of our home and that, and that resonates with other community members, but also with visitors, people who are just kind of passing through. 100%. You know, I think, you know, the sad statistic, at least for our profession is that, um, people spend about 80% of their time indoors, you know, mm. uh, some of it is because of work. Some of it is just because of how we use technology and just our habits now as a society. So we're only dealing with a very small amount of time, you know, where we can, you know, really grab people who are outside. And so we want to make the best of it. So part of that is just like you said, you know, it's being thoughtful and, uh, and authentic and celebrating what makes uh, places special so that people have a memory at last and they want to come back and they want to, you know, share that story with their their peers and their colleagues and their friends and, you know, just have a very positive impression of places. Well, and you mentioned people moving about a space mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, that movement and that flow is so important, again, for visitors mm-hmm. and residents alike. Um, yeah. How do you know the right, what's the right flow? How do you know where a path should be or? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, research in terms of behavior. So a lot of what we work on, we hope is based on some sort of evidence. And so we have knowledge about, you know, what's comfortable, like for people, various levels of mobility, you know, how steep to make something, how curvy to make something, um, how mysterious should it be, right? Should you be able to see the whole thing at first or should there be moments along the way that kind of guide you through um, the impact of the, you know, the flow, meaning that, you know, if it means that you have to somehow harm or damage what you're coming there to see in the first place, like chop off the top of a hill to, uh, be able to, to, to make a flat spot. And that's probably not a best, a great idea. So there's some sort of feedback that we get from the environment around us in terms of what the best fit is, you know, but, but in the end, you know, it's really, uh, testing and failing, you know, so that's the advantage of, using the tools like drawings and photographs and models and other things is that before you actually get out there with a shovel and start moving dirt around, you know, you have some ways of getting a preview of what that experience might be. So you can say, uh, you know, maybe that's too long or that's too short, or that should be a square or that should be a circle. You know, you can start to, you know, put yourself in the shoes of someone who might use this place and start to think about what they might experience. So, so we like to spend a lot of time on that process before we commit uh, to actually uh, physically changing the the place that we're dealing with. Sure, sure. And I love that you you said you get feedback from the environment itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, a great legacy in our state, you know, of, of incredible places that really pay attention to that. So you mentioned Handmade America. I mean, we all love the Blue Ridge Parkway. So uh, with regards to landscape architecture, there's some people think that's the best work of grand landscape architecture in our home state. Um, and part of that is how they uh, decided where that route would go and what kinds of materials are associated with it and what kind of views you get and how it relates mm-hmm. to things around it. You know, th- those are all intentional. Those are all decisions that were made. 
Well, and, and you know, the other, the, the last thing I wanted to pick up on when you were describing what landscape architects do mm -hmm. um, is, is you said, you know, if, if, if we can, we're there for the long term. We, we monitor and we, we evaluate and we stay with the community. And I know certainly just from my personal um, friendship with you, that you have several communities in North Carolina that you have had a lasting relationship with for, for many years. I don't want to say yeah, decades, because that makes you sound old. Yeah, I got gray hair. I have no idea. And just for the people who are watching this first time, yes, Carol is exactly the same as when I met her years ago. I'm the one that's kind of gone into decrepitude, but uh, oh, you yeah. can't do can't do all of the monitoring myself or ourselves, but we try and put tools in the hands of the people to, you know, uh, we thought something was going to grow here. It didn't grow. Okay, that's a flood. We got to fix that. Or we thought that placing something there would get people's attention and uh, it worked, right? So actually it is networked. Or uh, we put this here because we thought that it would inspire somebody across the street to do something in response. And that happened or that didn't happen. So in some ways, you know, we don't always do it ourselves, but that long-term relationship is helping local people to do it, you know, on their own, because once we're done, you know, it's really, it's really theirs uh, to, to be stewards of. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's certainly we learn through best practices and when there are some things that we maybe hold as truths that we should apply again and again, but you know, a lot of, a lot of work is, is based on trying something and adjusting. That's right. Most of it is right. So in some ways, you know, that's something that I think will come forward even in this current work is, uh, you know, the room for small experiments, right? We don't know for sure, you know, let's try something out and see if it works. And, you know, if it doesn't work, let's do it. So it doesn't like wipe everything out, you know, we can recover from it, but if it works, then you can feed it more and it grows more and it has more impact. So. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 we're trying things out based on what the communities are asking for. Yes. Based on yeah. on their own knowledge of what they want and yeah. their own which vision. Is, which is a great way to go. It's a great the best way to go. Way to go yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's a great shift. Um, will you tell us about your role with Uplift? Uh, sure. You know, I think that you know part of it is uh, just being a good teammate. Uh, and helping with the overall scope of the project. But uh, in general, we're trying to take what we heard, you know, from the first phase and, uh, you know, the great blueprint workshops in terms of people talking about how they imagine themselves in the future and what they'd like to see. And then, uh, you know, in the nearer term, what we've been doing is is documenting the places that people have said have been assets or strengths in their communities. And, it's been uh, through mapping, you know, it's been through sort of a tried and true method where we get, you know, giant maps of the, the regions that we're working in and we give small groups, you know, instructions in terms of how to note, you know, whatever they think uh, we need to make sure is, is on our radar in terms of what's significant and what's important. And, uh, you know, at, at a base level, it's starting to create this incredible archive and inventory that will carry through the rest of the project as we start to engage with people, they can add, they can edit, they can change as things uh, become true. Conversations, you know, and some folks are very strong experts of wherever they are locally, but have no idea what's happening with a neighboring town or a neighboring county. And sometimes that can enable great conversations about, you know, connections that could be made or similar strategies or challenges, you know, but in the end it's to try and get sort of a, a picture of what's there so that uh, 
when it's time for people to think about, and you know, words, it's like, you know, we got this creek here and, you know, we've heard about canoeing and kayaking, for example, but we have no idea where to start and what to think about. We can start to then support that with some technical information and say, here's some things to consider if you're considering, say, a boat launch or if you're considering, uh, you know, a, a camping site or if you're considering, you know, a pop up market at a farm. These all have like physical landscape implications. And if you do them right, then it can actually enhance the value of these places. And so we're not trying to solve all those problems for people, but we want to put people in a situation where they have access to the information that they need when they have to make those decisions. Uh, share some examples that can inspire them, and uh, so so more of the sort of the planning and 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 site planning side of it, we we help to be a technical resource through throughout the whole process. Yeah, that's great because that your the examples you used um, certainly we there is a demand um, for increased access to the waterways in our core counties and you know i could i should certainly mention you know uplifttourism.com is our website for listeners who want to learn more about the uplift project um and and in providing that techno could you could you just tell us a little bit more give us an example of like the technical information what do you mean by that in terms of a boat launch or a, a kayak put in yeah, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I, there are a lot of rules about access to water uh, in mm. the state. So a lot of regulations that people need to be mindful of. You can't just you can't just do it anywhere. But there are limits in terms of, you know, just basic stuff like uh, uh, you know, public places that are accessible by car and by vehicle, because that's how a lot of people are you know, carrying their stuff. So knowing where those are, uh, knowing how to uh, establish and maintain trails and access to the actual water itself so that you're not eroding or destroying that natural feature that you're trying to deal with in terms of put-ins. Um, other things that you know we've seen across the state in terms of examples of sort of other things that are benefits. So maybe you need a place to sit, maybe you need signage to help people understand the route you know, that you can go and where the next places to actually get out of the creek if you need to. Um, the features around you, if there's anything historical or any kind of important environmental habitat. I mean, we just recently did a kayak tour with the Koharie tribe uh, mm. on the Great Koharie River. And that was an eye opener, even for us who are, you know, up to our eyeballs and natural stuff to hearing the stories from indigenous people and how they value things. and you know, seeing, seeing it through their eyes. So, so the, the short version is, you know, we want to let people know if you're doing that here, there's some considerations to not just make it just a basic way of, you know, getting a boat in and out, but to make it a, an experience, right? Make it memorable, uh, make it comfortable, you know, make it informational uh, and, uh, and hopefully enhance the environment they're trying to access and not degrade it. Awesome. You mentioned asset mapping, like the, the mapping exercise that we did yep. with these mm -hmm. giant maps. Um, mm -hmm. So so if people go on our website and they go to our knowledge center, they can see the uh, regional blueprints mm -hmm. that our team put together with the local communities on where Uplift will be going uh, in the next couple years. And we presented these these blueprints at a regional meeting. Uh, earlier on in the year, I think it was like March of, of 2023. Mm -hmm. And the asset mapping exercise that you led, I think was the most popular and best part of these meetings. I mean, how big were these maps that you had out on the on the tables? 
Yeah, you know, uh, they were big. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, uh, somewhere around 50 people, you know, at each of these workshops. So part of it was breaking people into small groups. We feel like small group activity uh, is a little more productive where you can make eye contact to have conversations. All that to say that we tried to make uh, maps of each region that were at least four feet long. In some cases, they were they were longer than that. So we were talking about, you know, literally covering an entire table and then uh, giving people, you know, all the fun stuff that you play with, you know, in kindergarten and elementary school. So, you know, you got stickers and you got markers, and you got all this stuff that, you know, got people physically active and, you know, then, uh, you know, you could write on stuff of what they weren't precious objects, right? They weren't for like gallery hanging, they were for work. So, you know, you could, oh, I thought that was there. No, it's not there. Cross that out, go to another spot of the map. So, you know, I think one reason why it's it's old, right? It's not uh, new or innovative, but it, it captures sort of so many uh, points that people really enjoy, the emotional side of it, the social side of it. You don't have to be an expert in anything. The only thing you really need is to learn how to read a map, right? So see where the roads are and where landmarks are. But after that, you know, it, it's the same stuff that you use. So we, we really like that as sort of a low barrier to entry way of getting people excited about uh, what's in their own place, you know. It was so much fun. People were moving around. We have so many images from those meetings of, of people gathered around uh, each table and and we moved from table to table and people right. went over the assets that they had talked about and they had marked with the sticky dots and the post-it yes. notes. and. Yep. It was just so much fun to see people who had never met one another in a neighboring county interact and be amazed at all of the cool stuff happening just next door. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we all have all this stuff in our heads. It's so rare when we get a chance to get it out of our heads and have other people share. And that takes some trust, too. Right. Not everybody wants to, you know, be that vulnerable, but it's rewarding. You know, you, you learn a bit. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad that it, it worked out the way it did. And, and I think the plan is you're digitizing all of those post-it notes and sticky dots. And, and then the next time we have a large gathering, um, TBD, the maps will come back out and we'll yes. continue yeah. that process. Yeah. So we've gone through a process we call coding, you know, which is to say, uh, you know, we had some very general categories asking people to map assets. Some of them were more cultural, you know, like buildings and you know traditional places where people gather some of them are more natural and environmental features things of that nature so we've gone through and sort of coded them meaning that assigned them different values and uh it's helping us to get a sense of the range of assets in different places they're compiled so all the individual maps from a certain place are all kind of overlapping and coming together now and uh yeah and that's our goal is to bring it every time so that people can see what those are. And then, you know, at the end, you know, hopefully uh, make it available to them as they continue their work. Cause you know, the work doesn't end after, after we leave. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we're, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're happy to do that. We're also looking at, uh, this is going to sound nerdy, but where, you know, things are clustering and concentrate if there are any patterns. So, you know, uh, we were looking at the maps around the Uari uh, National Forest there are a number of communities that are surrounding this great resource and we're like, oh, okay, maybe there's something there in terms of, you know, all of these things being connected by something that's bigger that you wouldn't even notice if you're on the ground. But when you see it on a map, you kind of say, oh, yeah, all the sides of it are, are these things, you know, can, are there ways to make these things work? So there's, there's lots of examples of um, patterns that we think could make uh, everything we're doing stronger. 
Yeah. I mean, if you say something nerdy to a nerd, doesn't that like cancel it out? <laughs> I think so. Everybody's a nerd. Everybody's a nerd. Um, okay. And so, and so we're talking about uplift. We're talking about your role in uplift. What are some of the goals that you have or some of the things that you would like to see happen um, in uplift? It's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, a native of Detroit, Michigan. And so, you know, I'm still discovering the state all the time. We've not been here for some period of time. So, you know, uh, part of it is just getting to know, you know, the the place that we're all in and facilitating those conversations. Um, you know, another one is uh, trying to make sure that the tools and the resources that we all develop are, are uh, open to a lot of communities. There are some places that have never had these kinds of conversations or this access to resources or an awareness of, you know, how to move from, yeah, we think this is really important in our own backyard, but how does it go further than that? And so, you know, uh, the great uh, conversations you've had so far, you know, in Edgecombe County with the legacy of Princeville or, you know, with the Cary tribe, you know, in the great Cary River initiative. And, you know, there are lots this, of groups. Yeah, yeah. This morning I was talking with uh, Dr. Ferguson, who's organizing a film festival, the Pecan yes. Picking Film Festival in Bertie County yes. in September. Yes. So these are all, you know, groups that, I mean, I think that without uh, a little bit of advocacy, uh, you know, a lot of these resources could go to, you know, people who are already wired and connected and dialed in and not necessarily the broader group of people who could benefit the most. So part of it is also trying to figure out how to make those and maintain those connections so that everybody can can get access to what we're doing. Awesome. Um, well, Kofi, we're, we're winding down our time together. Um, just so you know, this isn't going to be the last time you're on this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate you being the very first podcast interview that um, that is happening on on the interactions and attractions. I have one final question for you, um, unless you have have more you want to add. No, please go ahead. Yep. Okay. Well, the final question for you is: What is your favorite attraction in North Carolina? We started talking about interactions. Your key interaction. We're ending talking about attractions. Wow, that is hard. That is so hard, Carol. Um, I know, but you can't. You can't. You gotta. You gotta name one. You got to. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're setting the precedent here, right? Because you can't have. We cannot have future interviewees say, "Oh, they're all so great," right? You got <laughs> to go with one. Commit. I hear you. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this, and you know, it's difficult. I think uh, I'm going to. Uh, cop out a little bit and just talk about things in this region. So, uh, so I have, you know, friends from other parts of the country that, you know, North Carolina is just not on their radar. Like, you know, even I, when I moved here, I said, you know, rally instead of Raleigh, like I had no idea what was going on. So, you know, believe it or not, uh, coming into uh, Research Triangle Park, getting off that plane, you know, and getting to know the triangles for a lot of people was like the first impression they have of the area and you know the the one that leaves the lasting impression is uh the 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 art park the north carolina museum of art and the art park there so it's it is it is urban so i know it, it's probably disappointing to our rural uh audience and the broader state audience but it's the it, it it's a it's really important because i think it illustrates how the inside and outside can kind of work together 
to tell a story of how you want to represent, you know, your region. So I think it, when people experience that who have never been uh, to our region, uh, they leave with a really positive impression that, you know, there are certain values that are apparent. Some of the stuff is sort of nerdy, like uh, the museum is free. Uh, where I'm from in Michigan, they're not. You got to pay even for the art galleries and the museums. This idea that, oh, wait a minute, all state museums and facilities are free? Yeah, yeah, they are. And they're of high quality. Um, you see a wide array of people, right? So you got like people who are new to the area. You got people who've been here a long period of time. You got groups, you got individuals, you got kids climbing trees and throwing rocks. You got people sketching public art out there. So it's this wide array of different activities that are happening there. And uh, and, you know, you, you, there's a reason to come back, you know, because, you know, things change there. You know, the seasons change. They have outdoor events. They, uh, you know, performances, gallery shows change. You know, uh, it's really uh, has a dynamic kind of life. So uh, it's almost universal. Like every time I bring people there who are new, uh, it gets them excited about, well, what else is going on, you know, in the state? You know, what else can I experience? What else can I do? So. So I, I like it for those reasons. So a bit of a cop out, but it's no. uh, it's one that I know really well. Yeah. Not at all. I, in fact, I want to add to that. Um, when yeah. I was at North Carolina State, when you and I met one another, I would take mm -hmm. my students out to the art museum because mm -hmm. it had all those things. It encompassed mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. many things that embody tourism mm -hmm. and, you know, it's community. It's um Something that I have noticed is many of the artists, not all, but many of the artists who have the public art pieces in the art park um, are local-ish. They're they're they from are. North Carolina. They are. Um, Vala Simpson has, Vala you know, Simpson, the great... Yes. The Whirly Gigs, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's even little threads there to help you to understand how it's connected to the rest of the state. So, you know, I mean, there's there's various places. We were just talking, I'm headed to Brevard next week. So, I mean, how you, nice. I don't know how you beat the waterfalls. Uh, the coast, of course, uh, you know, there's there's many, many, many places. And then in between, right? So the, you know, great towns like Kinston and and uh, and Princeville and, and, and those places I spend a lot of time in. So, yeah, it's a diverse state. That's one thing I really like about it is that there's, so many different experiences, but in terms of one that returns mm -hmm. and comes back and, you know, that's the one I would pick. I love that. I love that you picked that one. It, you know, the, as you mentioned, it's the built environment, it's the natural environment together. Um, but anybody who knows me, I will, if you're around me more than 10 minutes, I'm going to start talking about public art. So it's, it's mm -hmm. fantastic one to end on. And um, thank you for your time on the interactions and attractions uplift podcast. Thanks, Carol. This was fun. That's all we have today on Interactions and Attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 04790769 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the U.S. Department of Commerce.